Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker with my lovely wife, Karen. Hey guys. So I made a mistake last week and I was just uh, autopiloting, moving uh, files from one area to the next and doing the typical equalization, amplification, and compression of the episode, and somehow I mislabeled one of them, and two weeks ago episode ended up getting reposted last week under a different title. Thank you, Joe, for pointing that out, and and, uh, so I pulled it down, I think, hopefully, I, I don't know if that was successful or not. And then I was going to get it back, a new episode back up when I had a moment. And I finally did yesterday. So <laughs> we, we still want to do another episode this week. I feel bad for having that mistake, and I apologize. That was a, that was a technical issue on my part, um, a user, user issue, you might say. And so that episode is up. So you have two episodes this week that are actually new. And uh, again, apologize for my own mistake. <laughs> I don't know if uh, any announcements made it the Instagram. I, I I've noticed they my... did, but I thought you were going to post it uh, sooner than that. So oh, that's <laughs> my bad. I, I'm not. I'm, I feel like I'm not communicating as great. Like I'm, I'm going to let you know now that somebody's going to come and look at that refrigerator tomorrow. Oh, uh, during the day or when you're home? When I'm home, maybe. <laughs> I told him after four thirty. So <laughs> I was I was intending to be home. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we are we are on continuity clinic, and as you might have gathered from that little statement there, I I think I'm going to be home early. He has technically gotten off early each day. Whether or not he makes it home before 6 is another thing. He's been using the extra time to go through UWorld questions yes. uh, away from home where he doesn't get bombarded with things, which... Most days I appreciate. Some days I wish he would just come home, but that's a you've me, never expressed this. That's a me thing, not a him. Well, oh, okay. Because I know you need to study and you have a deadline to, for when you need to do step three. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> if it was really, really bad day, I would tell you to come home. Okay. You know you can, <laughs> as long as you know you can. I, I, I generally just so we have morning clinics, and I see my patients. Um, then usually. I'm, I'm saying this very intentionally because I see my patients and it usually ends up being this weird back-to-back-to-back situation. And so I see the patients, I present to my attending, my attending goes and sees the patient with me, we review the plan, and adios, the patient's good to go. And then usually by that point, it's the next patient is ready to be seen, so I go and see that patient and rinse and repeat. And then... um, Around 12.30, we typically have some kind of activity. for like, So I'm on the morning team right now. So for six months, I'll be on mornings. For clinic and afternoon, the other stuff. So the other stuff is research, professional development, um, sim lab, ultrasound procedures, and then didactics, of course. So uh, various things are kind of scheduled in the afternoons. I will have Friday afternoon off, so that'll be nice. And so... Um, 
Yeah, so that's so usually I uh, after the afternoon activity, I finish my notes from the clinic. I can if I was a little bit faster, I think I could probably finish my notes while in clinic, but it ends up working out that a lot of my patients like my first one gets roomed and it takes a while and then it ends up being like they're supposed to be there at 9 and I start seeing them at like 9:45. And then um, when I finally get done with that one, the next one has been roomed and is ready to get, you know, for me to go in. And it's like 10, 15. And so I see that one. And then I see that the last one's usually always a little bit late. And basically by like 12, 15, I'm finishing up with the last one. And today was just especially bad. My computer decided we're going to shut down and restart and updo all the updates. And I was like, can you do it in like an hour when I'm not trying to put orders in? And it was like, no. No, you can't do that. Because <laughs> I was like hitting the snooze button on it, and it wouldn't, the window wouldn't go away, and I hit the X button, and the, it wouldn't go away. And this is the, now the new work laptop, so it's like, oh, great. On the bottom right corner is where this box has appeared, and it also happens to be where I have to press a button to see all the labs and everything, and all the medications I ordered, and do all the signing. So I was like, I can't see it, I can't click on it, I can't do anything. So close the laptop. <laughs> do the do the update um go to go to the sim lab and call it a day so that, that that's usually how the the days go um not not every day is an update but uh, <laughs> i try to get the notes done um before like before two three o'clock they don't take very long to do honestly it's not that bad i I don't love outpatient clinic, so I'll, I'll just, I guess, be very straightforward with that. I, I'm still trying to get the hang of how to order things and the flow of things and and not to mess with the, the nurses too badly. So, like, for example, I had a patient who was in, a, in a, a quite a bit of pain. And I was trying to do the physical, I was trying to do the history taking and the, all the bits and pieces of my appointment with the patient but he was in so much pain and and the nurse had mentioned on the way when she was leaving the room on, on my way in she was like oh we do have Toradol and I was thinking like you know that might be a good idea just give this guy a shot of Toradol maybe that will help him out with the pain a little bit and you know his kidney function was good I'm not you know it's it's an said he didn't have any bleeding related issues um I don't know. I didn't do. I did a relative look over his history because it's the first time I'm seeing the guy, and I didn't see anything that contraindicated using Toradol. So I was like, oh, "Give the guy a shot of Toradol." I didn't. I just ordered it. The nurses administered it, but this is where clinical practice butts into the head of um, best practice, I guess. So I was talking very briefly with one of the seniors. And like, hey, Toradol, in, in the hospital, we just do IV. You know, you just, they just plug it into the IV and, and shoot it in. Um, obviously, these patients don't have IVs. I don't know if these nurses really want to get IV access you know, during an appointment, if that's a little bit too much, or if they would just rather do intramuscular. And at first, they're like, yeah, intramuscular works great. I'm like, okay, great. I changed the order. And then one of my seniors walks by and goes, oh, and uh, just use 15 milligrams. Because there was research that showed there's no clinical benefit from using 15 milligrams versus 30. So you might as well just use 15. So I'm like, okay, no clinical benefit. I don't need to give the guy more than he needs. Great. 
Well, the vials come in 30 milligram vials. Oh. <laughs> so the nurses, like, as soon as I had ordered it, I went and did something else. And then I came back to talk to the patient and on the way back. The nurse was like, so just so you know, the vial is 30 milligrams. And after we draw it up, it only lasts so long before we have to basically throw it out. And we don't, we don't administer tortoise in the clinic very often. So it generally just get thrown out. So you might as well just give the whole 30. And it's like, oh, fantastic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, that's unfortunate, uh, aggravating your nurses a little bit, you know, making them do a little extra work that they would rather not have done. And then, of course, it's kind of wasteful. Of res- either way, it's very wasteful, right? Like 15 milligrams extra isn't going to give the patient any clinical benefit and we either toss it in the sink or we inject it into the body. So I guess it's what, anyway, <laughs> take that for what it is. Um, so we, yeah, just trying to not annoy the nurses as badly as I can. Um, and then try not to look like a complete buffoon in front of my attendees. So the, the attendees are really cool. So again, like the clinic is not hard. I see three patients and they have a certain level of complex. Somehow are like not complex. Like they have no issue. This is a hospital follow up. Sure, they were in the hospital for a couple of days, but they're feeling one hundred percent now. They have no complaints. They have all their medications. Uh, there's really nothing else to follow up on. Like, okay, no big deal. So, check with them. Talk to them. Maybe address some lifestyle changes that they may may or may not need to take. And then that's, that's it for the appointment. And then there's others that are like, you have an extensive history. <laughs> you have a lot of things going on. And we, we need to figure out what's the most important and what we need to get you going on now. And so those patients take a little bit longer. But all in all, three patients is not that bad. And as much as I don't love outpatient clinic, three patients is really not a complaint. Uh, obviously, the third years are taking like six or seven patients uh, for each half day. Yeah, they, they, they don't love it as much. And, but the, the benefit they have, so for the first six months, my attendings have to see every patient I see. Uh, that's, I think, a requirement under my license. That's our training requirement. And so you can imagine I do the history taking. I did all this other stuff. I had to then turn around and present to my attending. We discussed the plan and treatment with the attending. And then we go see the patient and the attending will talk to the patient a little bit more, maybe ask different questions if, if something wasn't clear on my presentation, and then reiterate the plan, and then the patient goes home. So it, it almost doubles the appointment length. And so theoretically, like if it almost doubles it, then you take out that step. The third years have to present to the attendings, but the attendings don't have to see the patient. So... You take that part out, yeah, you could, and if you got a little bit faster and more efficient, you could probably knock out six patients, no problem. Yeah. The nice thing about continuity clinic is you have a more regular schedule for the family, but also I think you are, since they do have those different activities that for the second half of the day, whether it be AM or afternoon, um, you do get a variety of things. So like this week, he you've done ultrasound and then today you did like uh high, simland. F- high fidelity simulation yeah um and then to- tomorrow will be didactics yeah. and then friday he's got half well, a day off it's our wellness day or administrative day 
They call it they call it that because so, they call it administrative day because if you have stuff that you need to get done like notes or they've given you learning modules to finish, that is the time they expect you to get it done. Uh, okay. So it's if you if you got everything done, it's a wellness day. You can do whatever you want. But if you don't have that stuff done, that's the day you need to catch up on it. So that's fair. Um, and then Monday, Eric worked on his research paper, which um, <laughs> he's run into, he ran into a little bit of a snag when he first um, took this on. Uh, he was told he didn't need to have the patient sign off, and they have since clarified that, and he does need the patient to sign off. So now, even though he's started and gotten... A fair ways. Um, I've written up the case, but not like all the research components to it. Yeah. So um, now he needs to call the patient and mail, mail consent. <laughs> consent and then wait for it to come back before he can finish or even attempt to complete. Um, so he might have done some work for not if the patient is unwilling to sign. Oh, so unreachable, which is not uncommon. So, yeah. Um, I mean, he's made some progress this week. Obviously we, he has started studying for a step three. Yeah. We have only purchased U world at this point. We haven't purchased the CCS cases. Yeah. I, I just was tr- doing, they have like a trial CCS cases where you can just try a few of them out. And I, I did a few, um, actually not too long before we <laughs> started this episode. Oh. And I, uh, I realized that I need to actually know how to do it. Like how this, how the interface and dashboard work, because like I got most of it done. I did. I, I knew the diagnosis and I had most of the labs and stuff that they wanted. I just didn't. I, I got confused with like it was a pa- patient that was coming in with chest pain. It was right sided that was worse with breathing, and the guy could barely like it was having difficulty breathing and heart accelerated heart rate, etc. And on physical exam, like initially you think I was thinking like PE versus um, PE versus um, heart attack or an- some sort of angina. Um, and then, of course, you can throw in some other symptoms of like, okay, maybe it's uh, pneumothorax, or maybe it's um, dissecting aneurysm, uh, dissecting aorta. Uh, you can throw a few extra ones in there in your mind. But I was going through it, and you're like, okay, what's the first stop? And it's like a bunch of phys- oh, it's always physical exam stuff. So it's like, okay, physical exam history taking great. Click the boxes, press the next button, and it gave me a bunch of information. And it was like the clearest sign was. No error on the left, on the right side. I was like, okay, this is pretty, pretty straightforward to be a pneumothorax, but I don't know if for completeness' sake, you still have to probably order everything for everything else. So it's like, okay, we're going to order a twelve lead EK, ECG. We're going to order a chest CTA. We're going to order um, BMP, CMP, uh, CBC, and then uh, what else did they order? I ordered. Uh, yeah, I, I missed the troponins. That was probably a, a dumb one, but that was when I needed to have ordered. And then I ordered the chest X-ray uh, for the pneumothorax. And uh, probably honestly, I, if if there was no breaths on the left side, you probably should have just done a um, thor- 
I know it's like it's not thoracentesis. It's what I keep thinking of, but it's like a tube decompression or something like tube thor thor decompression, something like that. Um, and I I didn't I was like, oh, do I put the orders in first and then do the procedures? And I couldn't quite figure it out. And basically, by the time it all it had, uh, got to the it timed out, so I didn't do I didn't do very good on the case. But when I was reviewing everything, I was like, okay, ordered, 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 ordered. I had plate I had typed out thoracentesis, but I hadn't you know finished the order and I hadn't uh, looked for the I was looking for the needle decompression. Um, so anyway, I need to figure out how it's supposed to work and how, what the the correct workflow is in it. And how do you work it? That way, I'm not missing points for just being an uh, ignorant, I guess. So. That's uh, I'm doing the practice ones, the trial ones, because they're, they're free. And <laughs> uh, I feel like it could help me, at least as far as my patient care ideas of just working on differentials and working on like expanding those differentials and how, you, how to manage and treat, just because I, I do feel like I'm struggling with that. And uh, I feel like I'm getting embarrassed by it. So like, uh, so a high-fidelity sim lab was today. And that, that's we, we have this simulation lab with mannequins, which um, if anyone's been to Trinity and they've done the Central Georgia Tech College, uh, they have like the, the the nursing area has a nice sim lab with you know fully operational OR and uh, like a mannequin that can give birth and a few other ones. Like this one's actually the one at our campus is nicer, <laughs> has more expensive stuff. It has ultrasounds. It has uh, it has a whole bunch, of they have uh, laparoscopic uh, um, simulations and uh, cases that you can work on, and it's all like state of the art stuff. So it's pretty cool. And apparently, the mannequin we work on has AI, which means that they can they learn from the cases and they interact with the the people, and they um, you can actually ask them questions, and they might and they can basically hook up to the internet and answer those questions. So apparently you can ask him like what the, which did the Red Sox win last night or something like that? What was the score? And they can tell you, which is kind of wild, but they also, their eyes will follow you as well, which is kind of creepy. Uh, So don't, you know, don't wander the third floor of the GME (laughs) building at night. (laughs) The AI robot could be out and about, but, um, the way it kind of worked is like there's a control room and the guy's putting up the case and our program coordinator like had separated us up into groups. It was me, another intern and a third year. And he had made some comments about, Oh, I'm, you know, I've always wanted to be an actor. And so I'll, I'll try to act a little bit and we'll get the cases going. And I, I didn't realize that by basically doing all that, he was saying, and we start now, because he just walked out of the room, and I'm like, okay, cool. When he comes back, you know, he'll tell us when we're going to get going. And he comes back, and he immediately starts rattling off, like he's acting like a nurse who's, like, handing off this patient. And <laughs> it's he's doing a pretty good job of, like, also being distracting at the same time, because, like, he'll be, like, on one of the cases, he was like, this patient shouldn't be on this floor. If they need uh, norepinephrine, they shouldn't be on this floor. They don't belong on th- third south. They don't belong on third south if they need pressors. You need to get them transferred up to the. Like, I can't hang that. And it's like stuff like that. It's just like that is really distracting. Like <laughs> that is. But unfortunately, that's. I think that's 
some of the challenges that are out there, uh, especially since there's a lot of new nurses. Um, most A lot of nurses are great, so I don't want this to sound like I'm a nurse bashing, but there are some nurses who are like, hey, I work on a, a very low acuity floor, and we don't have pressers on this floor. We're not allowed to hang pressers on this floor, and so you can't hang pressers on this floor even if your patient is crashing. It's sometimes the mentality you get. And it's sometimes newer nurses that are... Well, it is a teaching hospital, so I, do you, I think you do have... We, I'm sure we have nursing students. I know you have pharmacy students, so I would, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if you had nursing students as well. We have podiatrists. We have yeah, pharmacists. We have like it's a, it's a wide variety of students that are at the hospital. But like he was very distracting, and it like immediately my mind goes blank. I'm looking at the monitors. I'm looking at the mannequin, and I'm just kind of going, what? <laughs> what's going on and like it's basically like he just passed out the patient just passed out like, you know he's not waking up and like the pd just walks the program director walks up to the mannequin and starts shaking it and like hey mr jenkins do you wake up mr jenkins oh no he doesn't wake up and it's like oh my gosh what the heck is going on and like the other intern doesn't step towards the bed I'm the closest one there. And he also, the PD does this thing like, well, you transferred this patient. You transferred this patient to the floor, so you probably ordered all this stuff. And it's just like, what? what? <laughs> like, am I supposed to know all this? <laughs> like, it's really, it was very, um, which I'm sure this is like, again, this is high fidelity. So this is a high stress situation. And these sort of things probably do happen. And uh, they're gonna, they're meant to knock you off your game a little bit because you're going to be, um, probably off your game when you run into these codes and these rapids. Anyway, so I, I just, like, I'm close to the patient, so I just kind of walk up to it and just like, okay. Uh, uh, I'm like, oh, I'll just check a pulse. <laughs> and then uh, I did, like, a sternal rub, and then I did, like, I did a shin rub as well. A sternal rub probably should wake the person up, but I was like, yeah, I'll use the shin as well. And... And then, of course, I'm like, I'm looking at the other intern, and the third year, I'm like, you guys got any ideas? Like, so in my mind, I'm like, you got a heart rate? I can feel a pulse. Uh, O2 stats look okay. Patient's just not awake. Like, <laughs> they're not waking up to the sternal rub, so they're probably, they're probably altered in some way. But, like, I can't, I'm just blinking on the differentials. And the third year is just staring at us. He's like, well, why, why don't you listen to the lungs and heart? I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, in my mind, I'm like, I am not going to learn anything from doing this. But because, I mean, he's probably not wrong. Like, if you hear, I don't know, if you hear lung sounds on one side, maybe you do have a pneumothorax. But, like, you probably wouldn't see the O2 stats, what they are. And if you listen to the heart, like, I can feel a pulse. So I kind of know the heart's still pumping. But, okay, I'll listen to the heart. Like, maybe I'll hear something that makes me think of something else. I don't know. And, like, so the third year is totally not helping. And he's purposefully not helping. I, I think, in his defense, I think he's trying to do this, like, let the interns have this experience, let them learn kind of mentality. It just would be helpful if he would tell us that. Because sometimes when you walk into a room and you have, like, if you're a third-year medical student, you walk into a room and there's a, there's a resident in the room, like the resident's taking charge. The resident's in charge of what's going on in the room. Like so, 
you naturally just let them lead. And so like when I'm up there at the patient, there's a third year there. I'm like, okay, third year, you're in charge. And he's just like, nope. And of course, the social anxiety of having your uh, six, uh, nine other peers of, you know, your peers sitting behind you all talking and making jokes and talk and laughing. You're just like, I am blowing this. <laughs> like, this looks bad. And thankfully, the other intern was like, how about we get a blood glucose on this patient? And the PD, like, does the whole, like, mock. I'm taking a, a sample and shows, like, oh, it's, like, 17. Oh, okay, well, let's, uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to give him? I was, like, glucagon? And he was, like, we're out of that. And it's, like, dextrose. And he's, like, what kind of dextrose? And the, inter- the other intern's, like, 10, D10. And then that's when the third year was like, do, do more. <laughs> D, D50. How much? An ampular. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is. That sounds great. Uh, <laughs> and then like, that was the end of the case. And so that, that's as much as we did on that case, which was nice um, in my group anyway. And we talked a lot about um, when to do that. Uh, he, our PD is from the ICU, so I'm guessing D50 is a they're happy to do they, they can control and watch a lot of these patients. And so it's not really a big deal to him. Whereas like when I was on the floor, I got nervous when I was giving patients D10 because you can really drive that glucose rate up. But usually we were only giving D10 if we had the patient on an insulin infusion. So in my mind, I'm like, ah, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to give someone a whole bunch of sugar if I don't have insulin as backup. And he talked about a story about, like at a hospital he had worked on, um, just people not being, like, people being anxious and like giving patients D50, an ampule of D50, but it was on like a, like a three month old. And so it was tiny little body and you just shove a ton of, so it was like, yeah, like he was hypoglycemic and they shoved this D50 into the kid and then his blood sugars were like in the thousands. So you got a different kind of altered. Uh, so you just have to work with that. And so he, it, I think the person was just fine, but it's just, uh, you know, things, things to think about, you know, don't just push a whole bunch of D50 into a tiny person. Uh, you think about it. And that, <laughs> I, even me, it's like, well, that's a, that's body mass makes a difference. Yeah. body mass. <laughs> it, it was good to learn. Um, but to be fair, you were the first group that went, um, and you caught something later. I mean, you obviously nobody heard you, but you you taught the medical students something, so that was. Yeah, we there was a, a particular case. I'm going to pull up the name of the drug because I always feel like I don't do a good job of uh, pronouncing things uh, with a pronunciation, and I was going to see if Karen can do it. But there, it was a case of somebody. Uh, basically the nurse comes in to this other group and they're like, Hey, this patient is going for detox and was starting to get a little agitated. And, um, and so we gave them Ativan and we kept giving them kind of Ativan until now they're, they're not waking up. So essentially an overdose on Ativan with a benzodiazepine. Um, how would you pronounce that? This is my wife who's uh, worked in the pharmacy all the time, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I had a, 
that little cheater that told me. That would just read it off for you? That's No, it would tell me how to say it. Oh, the the phonetic. Phonetic, yeah. Flumazil? Flumazanin? Yeah, Flumazanil. Flumazanil. Anyway, so, like, the team that was up there is, you know, assessing the patient, looking at it. And this is kind of an example of, like, people that should you should speak up or at least advocate for your point. And so, like, the patient's um, respirations were starting to decrease, and it was pretty obvious the patient was having difficulty maintaining good O2 saturation. And so the first resident, second year, uh, kind of says, you should probably intubate this patient. And then the next resident goes, let's administer flunazanil, uh, which is... Uh, which is the antagonist to benzodiazepines, which is everything that we've learned in med school is patient overdoses on benzodiazepines. What do you do to reverse it? It's flunazenil. And <laughs> so she does it. And as as she orders it, I, I had invited the med student who's on clinics with us is to come with us to the lab and participate if he wanted to. And I was like, so what's the, what's the risk of giving this drug to a patient? And he's like, oh, I never, I haven't heard about, I haven't heard of this. And I'm like, well, if you give a flunazenil to a patient who's on benzodiazepines, you have a risk of seizures because seizures, um, this you know is, is a risk of seizures with this drug. And the problem with it is, is that once you've given it, it's such a great antagonist. Um, <laughs> it's such a great um, antagonist the benzodiazepine. Once you have seizures, well you give benzodiazepines to prevent seizures. So you're going to try to stack up. You've just given the antagonist to benzodiazepines and induce seizures. And now you're going to want to try to give more benzodiazepines to stop the seizures. And generally it doesn't work very good. And it, and sure enough, as soon as it's administered, the, the dummy starts like his arm starts twitching and starts like flipping out and they're like, Oh shoot, is this a seizure? <laughs> and, and they, they kind of start running through a list of like, okay, maybe it's hypoglycemia that's causing this. Let's get some blood sugar. And then they were like, let's get maybe some more Ativan. And they're like, no, that's not going to work. And like, let's give them Keppra, you know, it's, it's you know, which is Keppra is a, the anti-seizure medication. It's kind of more of a long-term drug, but um, like prophylaxis. But I think it can also be abortive as well, but... Uh, it's just not the it's not your go to when you have a patient who's had having seizures for a long time, so that's when the case stopped and they kind of talked it over. But and that's when the PD was like, "We it's a board question all the time. You guys are going to get is giving flunazenil, and you that's what you've been kind of conditioned to just think about whenever you think of a benzodiazepine overdose." But he's like, "On the floor, don't." Don't do it. <laughs> it's, it's unless you're like very sure the patient's op- uh, is benzo naive. They're not going through alcohol detox, and like maybe this is like a patient who's getting a, a endoscopy, and they gave him a bunch of Versed, and they and they they got a little overdosed on it. Then yeah, sure, go ahead and give it. You can reverse it, but like on the floors, if you this is a patient who like takes a bunch of benzos and you just or you just don't know how much benzos this patient typically takes, like just don't give it to them. Like you're just gonna you could they're gonna get it like possibly a seizure and that's gonna be more problems. So that was the little pearl though. And then there's other other pearls that I think was it wasn't my team either, but 
the other pearls were like when you see something just act on it which is a difficult for a lot of internal medicine apparently because apparently in this particular case you come in patients uh unconscious the respirations are slowly declining the spo2 is slowly declining and a lot of times apparently people will look like will see the patient and we'll start discussing you know the patient came in pneumonia and they're on antibiotics and then like discussion goes well maybe we should change the antibiotic is this patient's septic uh or this patient's you know obviously going into respiratory failure and we need to probably change the antibiotic we need to do something else and a lot of times we don't just start bagging the patient <laughs> and so like the we, the, our, our group, the group that did it, did great. They started bagging the patient right away, and they passed. Uh, but the PD was talking about how other, how other groups had run the sim, and they spent a most majority of groups that ran the sim spent most of the time talking about what could possibly be going wrong, and nobody would bag the patient, and slowly the patient would go bradycardic, and then the patient would go into cardiac arrest, and then they would have to be doing ACLS. So... Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, that's another fun little lesson. It's like sometimes you just have to act. Uh, what's going to kill the patient right now and deal with that and then figure out the other stuff later. Um, I've been ranting a lot here. Help me out here, Karen. No, so overall, continuity clinic is going well. Um, we'll have it every, what, four weeks or so? Every, yeah, so four weeks of some other rotation continuity clinic. Oh, okay. So every five week, yeah, every fifth week. Every fifth week. Yeah, so we are almost done um, with continuity clinic. Yeah. And then we, Eric will start admin team for the next four weeks. Yay. So that should be interesting. Um, yeah, what else? That's, a, I mean, that's, that's about roughly it. Roughly about it. I got, finally got my white coat. And his, his uh, laptop. Laptop. And then um, we finally got our homeschool approved. So... We can start that at any time now. I'm not. Oh, you 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 had submitted it to the state and all yeah. that fun stuff. Did they actually approve it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I thought it was just like an FYI sort of thing. No, they approved it. I printed it out. I put it with our important documents. Okay. Cool. Um, and then uh, we finally have doctor's appointments for everybody. I just need to find a babysitter. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 That's a chore all in and of itself. Um, and then. Yeah, we're, I think our plan is whenever Eric has days off, those are going to be family days. And, or doctor's appointments. Or doctor's appointments if we need them. Um, and then we will do school on the days that Eric is not home. Um, in North Carolina, we just well, have to... We'll see how things go. And I don't do mind school. helping out with a little bit of school Yeah, as we need. So. Yeah, but... Um, Overall, uh, we think we're making progress. We might be rearranging our house like, yet again. <laughs> yeah, we've been not not loving the the setup's better for certain things, but not we're, not we're just not getting as much use out of this extra room as I would like it to be. But uh, side going back with just a little yes. bit here, curious white coats wear or don't wear. Um, I think it depends on how young you look. <laughs> so 
I think there are... This is a different different take than I was expecting. Keep oh. going. Keep going. I, no, I, I have a different thought, but this is different. Go for it. So for from the patient perspective, I think most patients do not care. Um, I think the ones that do are probably your older patients. So if you are a younger looking doctor, I think it is important to wear it when you are seeing older patients. Um, just because it gives you some sort of visual authority and they're not going to give you as much of a hard time. They might say that you look young and you could just say thank you and move on, but that is my thought. Personally, I don't know why. Like, And this is just probably the stupid mom in me, but it's a white coat in a medical office. <laughs> it's going to get dirty. It's going to get dirty and they're not the easiest to clean. I don't think we clean. get dry cleaning either. Which yeah, is... it's not the easiest to clean. So, like, why? Um, but, I mean, there is some prestige to it, I guess. Most most people I don't know would know that, I don't think would know the difference between a long white coat and a short white coat um, unless they were in the medical field themselves. So... Yeah. I, to me, it doesn't really matter unless it's a certain demographic that you are serving or unless it's you know it's important to a patient. Well, and so it, it might vary depending on on where you are. So I, I had, a, I guess, a few thoughts related to that, and I think there's some overlap. So the first thing I, I kind of base it off of is when I worked at the Vancouver Clinic, uh, anytime a physician that was working there was struggling with patient reviews, like patients um, maybe didn't appreciate them as much. They weren't, they didn't have a good rapport with certain patients. One of the medical directors would come personally and spend basically like a week with this physician watching them. And at the end of the week, provide some tips and pointers for how they can improve their practice to improve their patient satisfaction scores. Nothing about like whether the doctor was bad or not. It's just like, Hey, there are some things you can change that will make your patients probably a little bit happier. And one of the things that he would do almost without any exception is that most of the doctors who were having issues getting patient satisfaction scores that were high were doctors who preferred to just wear either business casual or scrubs and no white coat. And one of the first things he, he would always tell them is, wear your white coat because your patients will see the white coat and immediately, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they will subscribe authority and that you know what you're doing. Like, And then sometimes it's, it's hard. I think some female physicians struggle with this where some, some of the older patients, even younger ones, might look at them and go, oh, you're a nurse, or they don't give them the same respect that they, maybe they would give to a male doctor, at least maybe not right off the bat. And so it kind of the white coat helps at least clue the patient in subconsciously or consciously that this is a physician. They've gone through years of training and they know what they're talking about and they're willing to listen. And so that was one thing that he would give. And that was, there was some study that was related to it. I don't know. I haven't read it. So that was his advice to a lot of physicians. And generally speaking, people had great results. People had you know, people whose scores went up when they started implementing some of these these tactics. Uh, on a separate note, it's like, well, we we work four years, we go massively in debt, and we get this short white coat in medical school, and it's debatable whether we should actually have to wear that thing around because 
we're doctors in training, we're not actually doctors. And I think to some degree, it the fact that we are basically told to wear it in medical school and it's kind of this ill-fitting coat that <laughs> is usually dirty and uh, not well kept up and it's kind of a pain, like we tend to like resent the coat to some degree. So a lot of like a lot of younger doctors don't want to wear the white coat. But I kind of see it as like, hey, I worked four years. I worked my tail off. I, I got massively in debt. I earned this coat. I'm going to wear it, not all the time, but I'll wear it in my clinic. Um, I, I got it yesterday. I wore it today. Um, I don't know if a patient, any patients respect me different or treat me differently for having it on. But at the same time, it's like, hey, I get to wear this coat. It, it not You know, you go through four years of medical school. You get to wear the coat. You might as well. Um, I... Again, you don't wear. I don't wear it outside of the clinic. I don't. I don't walk around the streets with it or anything like that. Um, but I don't see it as a bad thing. I think it's good for some patients to subconsciously subscribe some sort. Of, especially, I'm, I'm a visit. I'm a, a, a intern, so I don't have a lot of wisdom. I don't have a lot of medical experience underneath my belt. So, and patients who are coming to the continuity clinic know they're going to see a resident. So, like, I, I want to give them at least some confidence that, like. I know a little bit and then my attendings know a lot. And so like they can trust what we're telling them that they, they're, they're in good hands, that they're going to get good treatment. They're going to get good care. Um, so I, I try to do that just for the patient. I understand that there's some people who are like, Oh, it's white coat syndrome. Uh, patients come to the doctor's office and they see white coats and suddenly their blood pressure goes up. And uh, I think uh, it's probably ill named. I think uh, everyone goes, well, you have a white coat on. It causes patients to have blood, high blood pressure. And it's like, no, the patient is in a doctor's office. That is why they have white coats on. Like, have well, you... it's not the doctor that takes the blood pressure anyways. It's the medical it, yeah, assistant. It's the medical assistant or the nurse. And like, I've been a patient in a primary care physician. And like, I've gone through the, the check-in process where you're like, okay, stand on the scale. Now you've seen how fat you are. Great. Now sit here. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Stick this probe in your mouth. Hold your arms still and let me put this pulse ox on you. Like I'm doing three things at once and getting the blood pressure. Like, <laughs> like, hey, I'm a little stressed. I, I just got through the insurance check-in portion and asked, I asked a dozen questions on a sheet and trying to get that all filled out before. I, like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm feeling a little stressed. Um, the blood pressure is probably not going to be the best. And that's true for a lot of patients, especially ones that are like, I haven't... Last time I was here, the doctor said I needed to go on a diet. He's going to be pissed when he sees I got up 10 pounds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> everything we talked about, I did none of it. Uh, <laughs> so, like, it's stressful for patients. So, like, I know we like, oh, it's white coat syndrome. And so maybe somewhere in our brains we're like, well, if we don't wear a white coat, our patients will be happier. And it's like, no, they're stressed out regardless of whether you wear the white coat or not. <laughs> it really does not matter. I, I honestly do not think it matters. Um, obviously, like wear it if you want to. Don't wear it if you don't want to. I, I think it's okay to wear, but I think there's a lot of kind of peer pressure, especially from the seniors. They're like, "Oh, I don't wear a white coat. I'm a, I'm one of those cool attendings that just wear scrubs and I'm super I'm super chill." And it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> I think the white coat might be more important in clinic versus the hospital, though. Yeah. Your thoughts? Um, yes and no. So I think in the hospital clinic, I think yes, for sure. I think it's helpful. It just is a nice, it's, it's one of those settings where you sit down with your doctor and you have those conversations. And sometimes it's nice to have the white coat. The hospital, like, 
80% of the time, no big deal. You can wear your scrubs and be just fine. Your name tag's good enough. But sometimes you accidentally wear the scrubs that, like, all the nurses wear on one floor. And so then you, when you're walking around, the nurses are like, what's that nurse doing over here? What do you, you know, like, I, have, I don't recognize you. Who, what, which, which rooms are you taking care of? I've, and I've kind of gotten asked, like, like, what are you doing here? Like, they, they, or they won't, like, move out of my way when I'm trying to get into a patient's room. And they, they'll act like I shouldn't be there. And then they take a second look at my ID badge and see it says physician on it. And they're like, oh, okay. Hi, doctor. Like, okay. And I knew it was like, okay, it's the scrubs. Like, I'm wearing the exact same color scrubs they are. Like, that's why. Um, and, and I'm sure this happens probably more, unfortunately, more often for females because, or women physicians, because, like, uh, uh, this is like a, a stereotyping, essentially. Like, well, how many nurses are out there that are female? a great majority how many nurses are actually male small minority and yeah. <laughs> so well, and if you're a patient and it's like what are the odds if i call you a nurse you're actually going to be a nurse like probably pretty good but there's that one time you 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 assume and you you make an ass out of you <laughs> yeah well and eric had said that there were several interns that had under had a, like a pin or something underneath their yeah it's badge. like a little placard that goes behind the name badge and it just like you have your name badge and then it's it'd be like big words doctor yeah and he had mentioned that like several of it seems like more women have it than than men yeah and his his theory was that that way they don't at a glance i mean at a glance they don't get mistaken yeah i mean at a glance you see doctor like yeah that's a doctor like i don't have to like read your name badge to read the the, the letters underneath your name and see, like, is it say resident physician? Oh, okay, so you're a resident physician. Uh, <laughs> like, they don't have to do that. They just have to look and see big letters on a, a bold, like a like blue-black background that says doctor. And it's like, okay, yeah, I know who you are. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, there's, a, there's a double-edged sword on this whole thing. Like, in the clinic, I do want my patients to know I'm the doctor, I do want them to feel like I'm confident even if I don't feel confident. And I want them to have confidence in what I'm telling them. So if I'm trying to advise them how to make lifestyle changes and how to do, take medications and how certain things are beneficial to them, I want them to believe it's actually a good idea and not be like, what's this kid telling me? Like, what does this guy know? He's like, well, on this earth for like a minute. Like, <laughs> I've been here for like decades compared to this kid. Uh, I do want them to feel like there is some weight behind what I'm telling and they can have confidence in, in what they're doing outside of the clinic. I don't want anyone to know I'm a doctor like <laughs> outside of the hospital. Like I don't, I don't need you to know I'm a doctor. I just, I, cause that means things will cost more. People will expect me to pay more. Or people uh, will expect a discount that Eric was mentioning this. We're selling the refrigerator that came with the house. And he's like, yeah, we're just not telling them because then they'll be like, well, you can afford whatever, so you can give me a better price for this thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we weren't saying about being a doctor. We were just saying something of the effect of like, oh, we're just getting rid of it. We bought a new one. And like, you don't want people to be like, oh, you bought a new one. You could afford to buy a brand new appliance. And it's like, no, no, we No, didn't. we bought a new used. We bought a used one. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just don't want people to... I don't, I don't want to be taken advantage of, and I, I don't want special treatment outside of the clinic or anything like that. I, I, 
I want my professional life to be professional. I want my clinic life to be clinic, uh, my outside life to be outside. So anyway. Yeah. So hopefully <laughs> we will. So next time we talk to you, Eric will be on the admit team. Yay. We're not sure how that schedule is going to go. We will try and get the next podcast up on Wednesday, but we will see. Um, and we will make sure that we upload the correct one tonight. Um, but we'll try. <laughs> it was like uh, autopilot, just <laughs> click, click, click. Um, but we hope you guys have a good week. Uh, you can follow us or ask any questions through our Instagram, uh, MedFamilyMD, and listen to us on any of the major podcast platforms. Thank you. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye.